Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. And Linkshus, the place where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Eliza. Hey, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm well. I'm. It's a very early morning again. I'm in Twitter Singapore. I think it's also the APEC HQ as well. I'm speaking to Eliza Knox, the current managing director for online sales for Asia Pacific and also Latin uh, markets as well. So Eliza, I'm very curious. You have a very interesting career journey. You started from various interesting companies like BCG, Charles Swap, Visa, Google. What are kind of your experiences and how did you move from San Francisco to Singapore? So my various career experiences are basically I started in banking and then went to management consulting, did a lot of work in financial services there. And about eight years ago, I thought it would be really fun to try something new. I think I'm generally curious and I had an opportunity to meet with Vince Cerf who is indeed one of the real founders of the internet. This is while I was working at Visa, and we got to talking, and it eventually wound up with my coming to work at Google and then Twitter. I was only willing to take the job at Google on the basis that we could come back to Asia. It wasn't my first time in Singapore. We'd actually lived in Singapore with BCG. So that was how we got back to Singapore this time, was the opportunity to run a similar business to what I'm doing now for for Google and to build it up. I started in 2007 with Google and there were about 50 people in the Google Singapore office at that point in a serviced office and now I believe they have close to a thousand and indeed Bernard you're sitting in our serviced office for Twitter uh, different serviced office than we have with Google this office started in my apartment something over two years ago and at the end of this month we're moving to a real office across the street and we will be up to about a hundred people well, so you always have this kind of like, I call it a corporate startup environment in Asia. And then after that, you build it up in, in both experiences. Has it been challenging, sort of building Asia office up? No, it's just been fun. Actually, it's not even both. That's what I did at BCG as well. I think it's what I really like is to be something of a bridge between Asia and the US. I have ended up, it wasn't something I planned to do, but it's pretty much what I've done since I moved from, after college, I lived in New York briefly and then moved to Sydney. And so since then, I've lived mostly outside of the U.S. and mostly been working in Asia. And so it's, I guess it's challenging because, not to denigrate my fellow citizens, although I also have an Australian passport and I'm a Singapore PR, but Americans love the growth in Asia, are interested in Asia, but maybe don't get out here enough, maybe don't always understand some of the differences and challenges. So it's good. It keeps me employed uh, in terms of making things happen in Asia and coordinating with American companies. Mm. I think it's probably interesting to sort of talk about Twitter, since that was why I'm here. Yes. Can you just give me a brief introduction on what Twitter is and how it started? Sure. Um, the one uh, drawback of podcasts and radio is that I can't show you a great video we have about how Twitter started. <laughs> but basically, Jack Dorsey was the original founder. He was working on some messaging systems, I think actually brainstorming when he was a student at NYU. It was, it was all about how one person could communicate using SMS to many. And it was the start of how Twitter became what it is today, which is the only live conversational public platform 
that exists. I definitely like using Twitter. In fact, Analyze Asia uses Twitter as a communication tool to talk to our audience and also sharing of every latest episode out there. In Asia Pacific, which are some of the interesting countries that are growing, in your opinion, at the moment? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what Twitter has been doing within the Asia Pacific. Sure, I'd love to. So I think every country in Asia Pacific is interesting. So that's an easy question. But if you want to hear a little bit about Twitter in different markets, I'm happy to do that. Let's start maybe at the top. So Japan is a huge market for us, one of our biggest markets globally. People have really taken to Twitter. I think one of the interesting things you find in Japan is people may have several handles. They may have one under their real name, and then a lot of people in Japan are interested in using an avatar or using a non-public name to communicate, So we um, perhaps because that's an easier way to put out messages. So we have really high engagement rate in Japan, lots of very active tweeting that's been used in elections, sample clients in Japan. One of my favorite is, is Sanrio Hello Kitty. Well, Hello Kitty had her 40th birthday last year, although she doesn't look that old. Mm. And on the third day of a campaign in Japan where they were using photos of women in Japan dressed up in sort of Hello Kitty outfits, they had a 50% engagement rate on Twitter, which is really amazing for any kind of media to have one in two people who sees what you're talking about actually engage with you, respond or retweet. Then if we move over, we're reasonably nascent in Korea, but seeing a lot of user growth. China, you may know we're banned, so we're not active there, although we do have a lot of Chinese advertisers who use Twitter to reach out to populations outside of China where people are engaged with Twitter. If we move down into Southeast Asia, one of the, well, two of the sort of most highly social media countries in the world seem to be the Philippines and Indonesia. Of course, Twitter is a really unique form of social media, although we're lumped in this category social with some other companies. Twitter is really an interest graph. I think you know that because you're such an avid user. Really, people on Twitter are communicating about what they're interested in, not necessarily with their friends. They may be reaching out to communities of people who are interested in whatever they're interested in, whether that's digital technology for medicine or fast cars or accounting rules in Sweden. It's a bunch of people that you may or may not ever choose to meet who you're engaging with. and so. In the Philippines and in Indonesia, there are huge populations of people on Twitter. And I know they're engaging on everything from topics they're interested in to some people are using it as a means of doing commerce, as kind of a side business. We, we don't have, of, of course, um, in the US, you know we have some betas for click to buy, but mm. not in Asia yet. But some people have come up with their own clever ways of using it. I've I seen people using it for lead generation for mail subscriptions for their newsletters as well in this part of the world. Yes, so there are two ways to do that. Obviously, you can be on Twitter organically, it's free, people can use it to build up their own user bases, which in fact I think Bernard, you're doing. You can use it to engage with consumers organically, build your customer base, and all of that is completely free. We also have products that enable people to, uh, advertisers to amplify their messages, which means that they build up things organically and then they'll use some advertising to boost that, to actually get more followers or get more leads. So we do have a lead generation product that says, you know, if you click here, it'll take you to the website so they can fill out a form there. Or, for example, in our lead gen card, you can just press and because Twitter users provide their email, that's about the only thing they provide to Twitter, which makes it very easy to sign up then the advertiser can actually work with Twitter to put up a lead gen card and therefore just get all the users who are willing to click that button 
will get the email addresses sent to the advertiser. You talk about geographies that are different usage. What are the most more interesting consumer usage of Twitter in Asia Pacific pertaining towards the brands, basically? Okay, can I take a step back before mm-hmm. we do that? Mm-hmm. One usage I want to go to that goes mm-hmm. across Asia that I think is really interesting is usage in elections. There have been quite a few elections here recently. One of the challenges globally is that it seems that younger voters have not actually been registering to vote. You know, that's a challenge for governments and for the future of a lot of countries because obviously they want to engage the people who are going to be around for the next 50 years. So I just wanted to share a couple stats with you before we go into advertiser usages because I feel like this is something really amazing that's happened. And I'll talk about Asia for a minute and then just get to the election in Britain, which Mm. happened over the weekend. Yeah, that's right. That's a hot topic recently. In India, there was an election last year, right? Voters who were between 18 to 23 years old, one in five of the voters were that age and they were new. A lot of them got online because of Twitter and there were 60 million election-related tweets during the, the recent election. And in Indonesia, the last presidential election which brought Jokowi into power, 30% of the electorate, which is more than 52 million people, were also first-time voters. And there were 95 million election-related tweets. Then Twitter has become kind of a tool for the leaders. So because the young people are on Twitter, and not just young people, but in this case, many of them, Narendra Modi tweets regularly, and he's got 10.5 million followers. So he's actually the second largest political leader in terms of followers, and he's second to Barack Obama. So that's been a really interesting unifying area for tweets. And I just wanted to share with you what happened in Britain over the weekend as well. There was a general election. Three quarters of the UK, 6.8 million 18 to 24 year olds registered to vote, which was way more than in 2010. And Twitter had basically generated a hashtag, register to vote, and got a huge spike working with the government in registrations. So it's interesting that there are some things, and we'll talk about how advertisers Mm -hmm. use it, but there are some things that are kind of universal. And one other one before we get to advertisers is We've been used a lot for disaster relief. You'll see that probably there's a new cyclone coming into the Philippines today, unfortunately. In the last cyclone, in the Petit Jakarta floods, we've been able to work with a lot of aid agencies to come up with hashtags to tell people where to go for relief, how to get information on finding loved ones. Before that, to use a product we have called Twitter Alerts to actually tell people where to go during emergencies, how to mm. get away. In fact, the recent uh, Nepal earthquake, I've seen the hashtags as well. Yes. And also two, three years ago, the Japanese uh, Fukushima, I remember communicating with my Japanese tech community through using Twitter as a tool. It's very effective to even know whether they are safe and how things are. Yeah, you know, one of the most interesting things for me individually, personally, is that conducting interviews as we build our business in Japan, so our own internal interviewers, interviews to hire what we call tweeps, which is what you are once you join Twitter, you're a tweep, everything's around birds. The ability to use Twitter in the aftermath of the tsunami has really impacted many, many Japanese people. So the difference for me in interviewing in Japan and the rest of Asia is pronounced because almost everyone in Japan who I interview talks about that experience as their foundational way of connecting with Twitter. So other people might come in and interview in the Singapore office, talk about how they've used Twitter in Indonesia. Some it's to follow elections, some it's to follow celebrities, some it's to follow Manchester United, you know, all the big um, English football football teams, I guess I still call them soccer, have a huge following in, in Southeast Asia. And so it's, it's varied, but in Japan, very pretty consistently, most of the interviewees come and talk to me about 
that was their how that's their first experience with Twitter, and that's why they want to work at Twitter. So it's quite interesting. It's also interesting that political leaders also use Twitter. For example, I think other than Modi, I think Lee Hsien Loong and Najib, Lee Hsien Loong, the Prime Minister of Singapore, and Najib, the Prime Minister of Malaysia, Malaysia. they also use Twitter to communicate with the general population in their countries. Do you see that? becoming more and more common phenomenon. They like to usually tweet about their photos, their daily lives, and etc. Do you see them doing more of those kind of communication? I think that will continue, and also also Jokowi in Indonesia. Mm. I think what you're finding is, so first of all, as I said before, Twitter is live, public, and conversational. So it's really become a form of broadcast, mm. like this podcast, but, but different. If you think back, it's not surprising that leaders would use it, not just political leaders. People you know, used to use radio, and then they mm. use television. And in a sense, Twitter is a short form of a similar sort of broadcast. And what I do see on Twitter in terms of, so Lee Sien Lung, I know, has uh, one of my favorites was him discovering a barn owl in his office. Yes. I don't know if you saw that tweet. I saw that tweet. I think that what people are able to do on Twitter that it's harder to do in TV and newspaper is to communicate some side of them as a person. So some of their tweets are about major issues of concern. Some of their tweets are far more personal about what has impacted them. And so for Prime Minister Lee Sien Lung, he's shown some personal side and a way that he can connect, connect with the people. He's done some sunsets. Yeah, there were some selfies at Chagam. And then, you know, more recently, he, he sort of communicated to some of the grieving constituency and shared his own grief over the passing of Senior Minister Lee, you know, his own, his own father. Which comes to the other question that I posed you a while ago, which was about brands, right? Right. I think brands uses Twitter more than also just broadcasting their announcements, product launches, promotions. But I think one interesting thing that actually has been happening with Twitter is customer engagement. We've seen a lot of that in Asia. Is, is that a very common thing on how brands used Twitter? Yes, I think the, the major uses of Twitter by brands are to engage customers and generally increase brand awareness, figure out what their customers care about, change the sentiment around the brand, so the whole brand side, and then some brands also use it for what we call performance or direct response to actually what you mentioned earlier, generate leads, generate mm -hmm. visits to a website, generate sales. And I think we're seeing that actually globally. That's pretty consistent globally. There are some great examples in Asia. One year at home is mm -hmm. Singtel, where their digital team last year engaged Hosan Leong to make the comedian to, to make 4G sort of personal. Singtel wanted to tell people that we ha that they had 4G, that we have it available in Singapore. And it's an interesting concept because 4G is a product, but it's pretty ethereal. Like you can't see 4G. It's very hard to explain 4G. And so Singtel came up with this idea of having Hosan Leong make videos around, funny videos around people's ideas of what they would do with 4G. So they tweeted in, you know, I would get recipes faster for my grandmother, or I would watch more Korean soaps. And they made these very silly videos on site, turned them around. And I think some of the statistics, which I shared with you before this interview, were there was an 18% engagement rate with the promoted trend. Singtel got a 17 times increase in daily brand mentions and almost 40% increase in traffic to their website. So what they were basically able to do by running this cute campaign and a funny campaign using some forms of Twitter advertisement to promote it was to get a whole lot more engagement with their customers. And for telcos in particular, it's actually a real win because telcos, airlines, a number of brands have a lot of customer engagement 
around maybe complaints or issues. And that's one of the challenges for brands as to how to deal with those. And I think one of the other great things that Twitter has done, and you'll see, is some brands will use social listening device to find, you know, there are many options out there to find out when consumers are talking to them and actively reach out to those consumers to engage with them, to, to deal with the customer service issues. Some will set up a separate Twitter site for that. But there's been, you know, there's one perspective is if you're a brand is to say, well, I don't want to be out there because if I do, I'll get a lot of complaints. But the fact of the matter is people are going to complain, they complain anyway. So you may as well be listening to what your customers are doing. You'll be able to address the complaints and engage with the customers and often turn them into happy stories. So what you see a lot is consumers engaging to perhaps complain or reach out about a concern they have and brands turning that around into something really wonderful and worth sharing. So one example of a telco that did that is O2 in the UK that had a lot of complaints at one point. Another one is Vodafone in Australia where they used very public Twitter campaigns to talk to consumers about what was bothering them and really engage and turn around the brand sentiment to make it far more positive. I just want to sort of get back to the earlier Singtel's campaign which I was very impressed by the statistics of about one point. 5 million impressions and about 32k engagements with the promotion and the videos. I'm sort of interested to know is whether videos, images, essentially to, to tag with the tweet is actually very strong ways of luring consumers like myself to actually more to engage the brand, like clicking on a video, you know, seeing like what Hosan Leung does. I mean, I could also hear from the other campaigns you talk about Vodafone and O2. Do yep. they do very similar things in that? So I think most campaigns are moving more and more towards what we call rich media, which mm. are either photos or video. I think given that Twitter is a short format, you know, it's 100, only 140 characters. We also own something called Vine, which is a six-second repeating video. So Vine or promoted video, which we also use, they work really well. We suggest to people not to make them too long, whether you're doing it organically or doing it as a means of advertising. You probably don't want to do a lot more than 30 seconds. Uh, because people are looking for a quick engagement and if they want more they'll click through um, but yes i think it works very well we see much higher engagement with rich media than we do with text only it doesn't mean you should never do text only because sometimes you just want to get a short form message out there but i do think we see the world moving that way you've probably seen that we actually bought a company and launched a product called periscope yep. over the last month or so which is quite amazing it's out for ios and will shortly be out for android and it basically allows you to stream video from wherever you are. So the name Periscope is great because it gives me this mental image of holding up my phone, but it basically turns anyone who wants to be into a live video broadcast. Yes, I have been talking to various of my friends in podcasting and, and we are actually culturally shy in actually even thinking of doing live streaming. But I thought we are actually looking at now being early adopters of Periscope. Right. Well, I guess it means you and I might have had to dress up a bit more for today or something <laughs> like that. But uh, neither one of us is in our pajamas, so I guess I guess we're safe. But yes, I think you could, you could do all of these podcasts just like that with Periscope. You'd be filming somebody live um, and it's just the way it's just like what you used to see with television trucks pulling up somewhere with a satellite and a whole lot of equipment in order to do a live broadcast now you can do it using periscope i would see that happening first in the tech conferences and subsequently get think, down to the vision yeah i think you have seen it already in tech conferences i've seen it with live tv broadcasts a friend of mine here was using it recently at a medic medical tech 
conference. So I thought that it would also be interesting to sort of ask you questions about brands leveraging on events. I, I think World Cup was a great event last year, 2014. I've seen a lot of tweets and I think re- I remember something like Japan was many, many tweets per second during that period of time. Have you seen brands leveraging on events and as such to, to promote their brand? Yeah, so a lot of brands leverage events because again, Twitter is a real-time platform. So what you see is people are actually often at the events or watching the the events and then tweeting about it. So they're almost doubly engaged and um, it's a great time for brands to reach out to them. And there are probably two instances. One is brands that are already sponsoring that event who want to really leverage the investment they have and make sure that they're reaching out to fans during the event and again afterwards because our products allow you to see who's tweeting about your event and reach out to them in real time. They also allow you to see who has been tweeting about your event and follow up with them with the same kind of advertising later or using footage that you already paid for from the event to engage with fans. And just to give you, you know, there are some really big numbers. I think in the World Cup last year, there were 672 million tweets. You can see we we do these heat maps of tweets during matches and you can see the number of tweets really explode after particular goals, for example. And one of the so brands do two things they can plan for these moments plan for the events and have a lot of engagement around it so for example toyota in australia planned around not world cup but where australia doesn't do so well but around the football league afl which is a, is a really big australian yep. um, football league and you know toyota has that tagline oh what a feeling so toyota really wanted to leverage the australian football league and so they used promoted tweets to actually ask AFL fans to share a photo of their own footy moment on Twitter and to hashtag it, oh, what a feeling. So that basically engaged fans around footy, which they love, and around Toyota because they were using Toyota's own tagline. And so they made it really, really easy. And they actually, basically, this was a contest. So they just had to upload a photo using their tagline. That tagline, again, was synonymous with Toyota's brand. So what happened, the results out of all this were that they got a 208%, so more than double their usual level of return on investment. They had engagement 33% above what they were looking for and 30% below cost that they had expected, so cost per engagement for the users. Wow. So, and, and this was all, as I said before, means to amplify the fact that they were already sponsoring AFL. So they've already invested a lot of money in AFL, and then with a little bit extra, they got a huge increase in terms of the value of their media spend and consumer engagement. So that was something they planned. They planned a whole season, a whole campaign. Other things that you see brands do, you mentioned World Cup before, and I think everybody remembers there was this point where Luis Suarez bit Giorgio Cellini, even if you yep. don't remember their names. And it was all about this, is basically he bit an Italian player. And people were like, what are, what are they doing biting? And so some of the brands have kind of live rooms following these events and figuring out ways to engage with users during this or quickly thereafter. So one of the ones that got the most press during the World Cup was Snickers, you know, the, the mm-hmm. candy bar. And uh, they had a, a, they ran a little campaign showing the bite, referring to the bite and saying, and then showing someone biting Snickers and saying more satisfying than an Italian. <laughs> In other words, you know, you, you, you get a lot more out of biting into a Snickers bar than a soccer player. So there were a few like that where they really responded the moment. And I think there's a very 
famous one, probably almost overdone now, but from the Super Bowl in 2014 where the lights went out, mm. Oreo cookies had had a campaign, and once they waited a few seconds to make sure that the lights had gone out due to a, an electrical fault and not some sort of active chaos. They tweeted in relation to their campaign of the year, which is about dunking Oreo cookies, you can dunk in the dark. And they got huge amounts of engagement and basically a lot of earned media, which means they didn't pay for it. It was just their ability to leverage an event really quickly where a lot of people were following that event on Twitter meant they got a lot of attention. So there comes my last question then. What keeps you excited in Twitter every day in Asia Pacific? So watching my Twitter feed in Asia Pacific, I guess the things that keep me excited, first of all, are the fact that even though I'm in Asia Pacific, I can get news globally. And you know, the same would be true like when I'm in the US, I can get my Asia news. You know, I can follow the Straits Times, I can follow what's going on in Indonesia, I can follow, you know, I, I like to go to the theater in Singapore so I can follow, figure out what, what things are going on by looking at Time Out or the, the SRT tweets even when I'm out of town. I think what's most exciting for us working at Twitter and building this is really seeing the continued velocity of tweets. I think you might know this story, but in the beginning it took us three years, two months and a day to get a billion tweets. We get a billion tweets every two days now. A lot of them are coming from Asia. So in terms of working at Twitter, I guess the really exciting thing for us is that the number of users outside the US keeps increasing. We're now up to 77% of our 302 million users are outside the US. The user growth is accelerating. And it's mostly mobile. Uh, mobile is 80% of our usage globally. And in fact, it's a bit more than that of our revenue. So we're really mobile first. And what I love about that is Asia is mobile first, more than anywhere else in the world. I mean, you know this, we walk around Asia. Most people have more than one phone. Because Twitter started as an SMS service, we can people can use Twitter in remote parts of Indonesia. It's not just Jakarta or remote parts of Thailand and the Philippines. And so to me, that's the exciting part is that I see this engagement from all parts of society, not just urban, and ranging from, you know, events around rock stars to events around saving people during floods to engaging people to vote. And so it makes me feel really good about having this product that's so versatile and that's so unique. And so that's what's really fun here. Wow. So I'm going to expect a lot more coming from Twitter in the next decade or so. I kind of wanted to get to kind of my last question. Full disclosure, I work in my corporate day job is with Singapore Post and Eliza is a board member who I learned a lot from. So I sort of wanted to ask this interesting question. You have served in a couple of boards and you have been also been very inspirational in guiding women in leadership. What are kind of your advice for aspiring women professionals in their careers? I think also pertaining to a lot of Asian women leaders as well. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a hard one to do short and it's definitely, I definitely can't do it in the Twitter 140 characters. So for for boards specifically, I was on a panel recently where an older woman who's much more of a pioneer than me did tell the Twitter women, because um, we'd organize, I'd organize this for Twitter, to really not to expect to be on a board before you're 45. Just as a, I'm not sure that's true. I think the ages are getting younger. And I think one of the reasons is that company boards are realizing that they need millennial perspectives and that there are a number of their customers are millennials. There's a lot of technology they don't understand. So don't give up, but do manage your expectations. And again, around boards specifically, what I was told, uh, which I think is very helpful, is 
First of all, you have to tell people you want to be on a board. Sure, if you're a retiring CEO, the day you retire, you'll get a lot of calls. But not all of us are in that position. And so you do need to tell search firms and your friends and your business and social network, hey, I'd like to go on a board because a lot of it is happenstance. And you need to have two or three things that are unique about you. This is even shorter than an elevator speech, shorter than a tweet that you need to be able to describe. So in my case, it's you know knowledge of Asia Pacific and knowledge of the online and digital media space, having a consulting or strategy background. So those are my three. I think career-wise, generally, I think it's different for each person. In my case, I find that I'm sort of curious. I don't have a linear career path at all, right? I started out banking, then I went to consulting and did some things around financial services related to consulting. And now I'm in digital technology and on some boards, um, which are clearly not in digital technology because that would conflict with my Twitter role. And of course, you know, in my case, the boards have to be approved by, by Twitter. Um, so what's driven me is some sort of curiosity, some sort of desire to learn more, and in my particular case, wanting to live uh, in different countries, you know, wanting to have not lived only in one uh, country and the country that I grew up in. And that's driven more of my career decisions, but I also think it's, so that may not be completely logical from the point of view of just climbing up in a, in a company, but it's kept my jobs, my work really interesting. It's kept me passionate and involved. And I guess if you're gonna to go to work every day, it's nice to be pretty excited about your job. I just recently read something in HBR where someone said, you know, this, stu- this advice about doing something you love is kind of hard because a lot of us don't, you know, the things we love, we don't make money at. So how about just making sure that you're interested and passionate to some extent about what you do and that it fits with your values. And, and I think, you know, for me, I've been able to build careers around things that I find really interesting and I've made that effort to you know find a job in Australia or find a job in Singapore move from um, consulting to uh, online media so basically figure out what you're interested in and be a little bit brave stick your neck out it may not work the first time you you know want to try to to shift if that's what you want to do I think you'll ultimately succeed that's I don't know if those are words to the wise or not that's great advice not just for the women also for the men too yes, yes I don't <laughs> sorry it was not specific to women yeah anyway so help my audience how do they find you how do they find me oh Bernard this is so nice you're giving me a plug for me at Aliza Knox So, you know, my Twitter handle is an at sign and then A-L-I-Z-A-K-N-O-X. And uh, I'd love to see who you are. And if I see you following me on Twitter, I'll take a look at what you're tweeting as well. And you can definitely find me at blongcw or at bernalong.com or subscribe to this podcast at analyzeasia.com, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, asia.com. And you can find us on Stitcher iTunes all sound color reviews are definitely welcome one star to five star and we hope to hear from all of you out there uh, once again Elisa, thank you for coming on the show thanks Bernard.